Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest today is Utah author James McLaughlin. Uh, he is author of a debut novel, which is getting rave reviews. It's called Bearskin. Here's the uh, the plot in brief. Rice Moore is a field researcher by trade and a former smuggler by association. His new job as a caretaker and researcher for the Turk Mountain Forest Preserve in rural Virginia seems ideal, not only for its remote, largely untouched wooded terrain, but also because it's a perfect hideout from the Mexican drug cartels he betrayed back in Arizona. When Rice finds the carcass of a bear killed by poachers on the reserve, his newly quiet life unravels. As the bear killings continue, Rice partners with his predecessor, a scientist named Sarah, who remains passionate about her work on the preserve while struggling to overcome the horrific incident that ended her time there. In trying to stop the poaching, Rice finds himself in the hostile crosshairs of the locals, the law, even his employers. The investigation pushes him into a nationwide criminal network, pulling him back into the deadly past he had hoped never to encounter again. So... Pulse pounding uh, novel, James McLaughlin. Welcome uh, to the program. Thank you very much, Tom. So, you uh, just a little background on you. Uh, grew up in Virginia. Yes, I did. I did. Uh, so, and interesting situation. Your parents ran a summer camp. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my parents started a summer camp way back in the fifties on a farm outside of Lexington, Virginia. My dad was a a football coach at a small uh, college there. And uh, that was that was how I grew up in the in the summers at this um, on this farm at this camp. Yeah, pretty idyllic. So he's a football coach. He decides to start a summer camp. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He I mean, summers was, off, right? Yeah, yeah. Summers yeah. off. Uh, he he played for the Green Bay Packers back in really? uh, 1941. Yeah, before right. World War II. Yeah. Wow, well, pretty cool. Um, I guess that would. Uh, Gain some respect from his players, right? If sure. knew he was pro, right? Oh yeah, and, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they they loved him. Uh, yeah, he was kind of a legend. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit about this. Uh, how big a place was it? I guess you you just roam around summers. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, during the camp uh, when I was really young, I would roam around like a little kid would. Um, and it was uh, it's a farm, three hundred and thirty acres, and uh, very rustic. Uh, we have. Uh, uh, outhouses um and uh, no 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 electricity up in the cabins um we used to use kerosene lanterns i think they use electric battery powered lanterns now but uh yeah once once i was a uh, an ostensible camper when i was a, a, of age i was then uh, brought into the the uh the program of camp and it's it's mm. mostly it's mostly sports but a lot of nature oriented stuff and horses and uh, it was it was it was a great childhood. It really was. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a great uh, a great situation for you. But you have said that um, I guess I guess I'll put it this way: you're not like the not like the kids I went to camp with. You were you were reading some uh, material that I didn't get to <laughs> yeah. at your age. There, like there like were, like who? There there were some kids reading, uh, but. Yeah, my brother gave me uh, Tarzan of the Apes when I was might have been a little too young for that, and uh, it probably um, changed my uh, head in, in ways we're still discovering. <laughs> you and I still, laugh about that. Uh, yeah, s- still discovering, yeah. right? Um, let's see who who else did you read when you were younger? There were uh, there were a, a, a lot of um, fairly literary uh, counselors at the camp, and. They would read things to us at, at night. Um, there was uh, Huckleberry Finn, and uh, and my brother read The Hobbit to us when I was in his cabin. And uh, A Good Man is Hard to Find is one that was read every summer uh, in the evening, and that, that really made an impression on me, the Flannery mm. O'Connor story. Okay, yeah, yeah, so some yeah. Flannery O'Connor as, sure. as well. And you have said that uh, you— you really were attracted to story. Story is important to you. Yeah, yeah. It 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 made an impression on me. I I would fall into those stories. I just I mean, I guess everybody does. But uh, I uh, I fell into them and then pretty quickly decided I would like to be able to make them. Mm. Um, and so it was an aspiration from early on to to be able to make stories. Now, from that time, your view of what a writer does or how it is to be a writer. I'm guessing that's changed over time. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, when I was, it was, I was in high school when I first kind of f- really formed the idea. I'm, I want to be a writer, and and I thought I was going to be kind of an outdoor writer. I had read uh, Green Hills of Africa by Ernest Hemingway as a, I don't know, sophomore or junior in, in high school, and I thought that's for me. Uh, I'm gonna go out and you know have adventures and write about it. Um, 
it uh, over the decades, it, you figure out that there's a lot, a whole lot more writing than than adventuring involved. Mm-hmm. Well, and and maybe what more boring, more arduous than you had imagined, or oh, not not boring, um, harder. Uh, you 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 find the limits of your talent, and you still keep doing it, and uh, you, it takes a while. Yeah, mm, yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit more about uh, about the the land out there in Virginia. This, I guess this informs the novel here. Sure, right? sure. It's the, the novel is set in a fictional county that is loosely based on the area where I grew up. I've changed it in certain ways, but it's kind of on the eastern edge of uh, technical Appalachia. It's um, in the Valley of Virginia, um, and there are mountains and some wild areas, and there are also farms um, and uh, kind of that that uh, blending of the wild and the agricultural there and uh, what happens there on the edges I found very interesting. Mm. Now, uh, I want to get to this a little later on. Uh, I was fascinated by the language. Language features a lot. Is backwoodsman, I'm not sure what we... Yes, yeah. I'd, trying know. not to use a pejorative term, right? Sure, uh, sure, um, sure, sure. It's, it's dialect, and, and mm-hmm. I grew up uh, hearing a lot of that. Um, and, uh, and it marks characters in certain ways you you can identify somewhat where they where they come from there's a a fairly mysterious character who appears early in the book whose dialect is uh much more extreme than you find in the in the county generally and so you know he's he's from a little wilder place yeah we'll get into that uh, one-armed man right that sure uh, appears yeah. out of the forest yeah um and and at first uh you're your hero here, Rice, can't understand him, right? He has to get yes, to, to right. practice that. I wanted right. to, get, to get back into that. Um, so you you went on to get an MFA and a law degree. I did. I did in, in reverse order. I, uh, uh, in reverse, a law degree yeah, and then MFA? Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. Okay. That makes a little more sense yeah. to me. Okay. Uh, I was going to say maybe you're like me. It took 15 years to get my undergrad and <laughs> I was all over the map. But uh, So uh, you were always had a view that you were going to be a writer at some point? Yes, yes. That's always what I wanted to be. And uh, I was prevailed upon to uh, take the LSAT and apply to law school and uh, was lucky enough to do well on the test and got into a very good school. And so I went and uh, um, it was a great education. It, mm-hmm. it really is. I, I, I can't speak highly enough of that education. My yeah. wife's a law school professor, so I Okay, all right. So, so, so you, do, you need to speak well <laughs> about it, right? Um, uh, and, uh, but you, you stayed in cons- conservation law, right? Yeah, uh, yeah I mm-hmm. picked that up. Um, it was, there's a, a big piece of property near the, our family farm that was under threat of development, and the, the county, a lot of the neighbors um, objected to it, and it was, and it was, it was a, you know, a thing, a situation. And eventually, uh, my mother was able to basically um, mortgage everything she had and and buy it um, at a good price. And uh, then I, as a brand new lawyer, and uh, and my cousin, as a, a real estate person, were charged with figuring out how to get her out of debt. Mm. And uh, part of that involved protecting the uh, uh, thousand acres with a conservation easement. And after that, um, that became my interest in the legal field. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I picked up on that. And then interestingly, that's my wife's uh, specialty as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, still involved in that, that kind of law? Yes, I am. Uh, one of my best and oldest friends and I started a business back in the early aughts, I guess, uh, that, that deals with land conservation in Virginia. And uh, he's the, the MBA and the ex-banker, and I'm the lawyer. And uh, we, we have a little company based in Virginia, and I telecommute and spend part of the year each year back there. Okay. All right. Um, so I'm interested in your, your outsider's view of Utah. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's funny. My we moved out here because my wife got the, the job at the law school uh, there in, in, in Salt Lake. And uh, uh, you go where you get a good job, and this was a really good job, but I was rooting for it because I've always wanted to live in the in the Rocky Mountains since I was a little kid, so I was excited to be out here. And uh, we ended up uh, buying a house up in Emigration Canyon outside of town and where you walk out the back door and there's 70,000 acres to, uh, to hike in. Mm. And that's, uh, that's been just wonderful. I've, I've really loved getting to know the, uh, the animals and the plants and the, the, 
the, the land. Yeah. Yeah. What What is it, do you think, is that upbringing in the, the summer camp out there? Was, yeah, I, I, I imprinted on um, fairly, on a, a farm that also was fairly wild. You know, there's, there's a, a big mountain right next to it that we climbed all the time. So, uh, yeah, that's always been my main, uh, my main thrust, my main interest. What uh, what was about the Rocky Mountain area that you wanted to come to? Wildness, wildness. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Big animals. Yeah. Wildness. Elk. Yeah. Yeah. Elk. We I can easily go out and see moose and elk, and uh, we haven't seen a mountain lion yet, but I know they're out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, differences. I could imagine the first dif- the first difference I know I, I notice when mm-hmm. I go back and visit my sister in Maryland is the humidity. Oh my God. Yeah, we've become uh, such obligate. Westerners now to the yeah. zero climate. We go back east and just melt in the first right. uh, day or so. Yeah. yeah. What uh, What else when you go out and hike and uh, you know the well the, certainly the elevation is different. Um, we our house is at six thousand feet and uh, people who come east uh, come from back east they struggle for the first few days hiking and when we go back east uh, you're sort of like Superman for a few days. Uh, yeah. Near, uh, VO two. V, what is it? VO two. Capacities are way up. Right, yeah. right. Uh, in the book, uh, there's um, there's a tension between the locals and, and the rice works for the preserve. The mm-hmm. locals don't like the preserve. Right. My mind immediately went to the public lands fights. I mean, this isn't public lands. This is private land. But the but the locals don't like the fact that the preserve owners are locking up this land and they can't use it and a similar dynamic exactly it's the same issue it absolutely is uh maybe on a little different scale out here but uh same issue and uh that in in my my character rice is come from outside and he's he works for the people who own the place and who are engaged in this important preservation work but he also you know he comes from a uh he's 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 worked construction for a lot of his life and he he has sympathy for the for the locals as well, so he's caught in the middle. But he has a job to do and protect this land. Yeah, and then in your profession, you still do conservation easements, that sort of thing. Uh, I guess do you do you deal with conflicts as it's, a professional? It's it's very interesting. The um, the that work there's less conflict. Um, it's all completely voluntary. Uh, everybody involved wants everybody involved wants to engage in this protection. And uh, usually, I mean, it's a lot of farmers, and the easements are structured to allow them to continue farming. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's more of a win win, uh, yeah. not so much conflict there. And uh, you know, you see some environmental groups uh, saying, "Hey, we're not going to reach our goals in the public policy arena. We're going to buy up land, or we're, we're right. going to get easements. We're going to right. We're going to use the private sector. Right, right, right. Sure." Yeah, that's a way when uh, it's a it's a it's a way around um, uh, a failure of political will when you have private will and people who are um, are excited to protect the land. Uh, you can do it that way, but it still has to be within the uh, overall construct uh, of a. Uh, of a, of a land use plan yeah. uh, for the county. And I guess you, as a con- the, the way you consume the public lands, you say you have, you know, 70,000 acres right at your back door of, yeah. uh, uh, that you have access to there. Um, I, I guess that this is a boon, right, to have a state with 70% or something oh, it's owned by the federal government versus Virginia. I'm not sure what percentage, but right. much lower, right? Right, right, right. Back back there, there I mean, where I'm from, there's uh, a great deal of, of public land, uh, state, and national forest. But uh, the scale is just different out here, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's big tracts of uh, of wild land. It's uh, really nice and striking. Yeah, let's take a break. When we come back, I wanted to jump into Bearskin. This new uh, described as a thriller. Yes, it's a thriller. Um, some of the marketing copy says it's a literary thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's kind of up to the reader. Yeah, and you said something interesting in an in interview I was reading. Uh, you said it's it's tough. Uh, to to write a page turner, uh, there's some yeah. difficulties there. We'll get into that when we come back. We're okay. talking with James McLaughlin. By the way, it's McLaughlin, not McLaughlin. You you got it right. Okay, yes. great, good. James McLaughlin, and uh, he lives now in Utah, um, outside of uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, grew up in Virginia. This uh, novel is set in Virginia. Literary thriller is called Bearskin. It's out now. More following this break. The rainbow hues of produce at a grocery store and farmer's market aren't just beautiful, they're also good for long-term health. Many brightly colored fruits and vegetables are rich in bioactives, which are chemicals naturally found in certain fruits that promote health, prevent inflammation, and block some pathways that may lead to cancer. 
Foods that are rich in bioactives include broccoli, green tea, tart cherries, and even purple corn. Researchers in USU's Department of Nutrition, Dietetics, and Food Services are involved in several studies aimed at understanding how bioactive chemicals affect the environment in your gut and overall health. Support for Ag Matters on Utah Public Radio is provided in part by our members and by the College of Agriculture and Applied Sciences at Utah State University, offering more than 70 degrees with courses available at USU campuses throughout the state and online. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're back with James McLaughlin. His uh, debut novel, Bearskin, a literary thriller, is uh, getting rave reviews. We're happy to have him with us in studio uh, here. So um, must be gratifying, getting very good reviews. Um, long history, though, to get <laughs> to yeah. get to where we are today. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Uh, tell us about what, what you call Bearskin 1.0. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, after I graduated from law school, I worked in a law firm for a while and then uh, left to uh, go back back to Charlottesville and try and get into a writing program. Uh, I started at the UVA, uh, uh, the uh, MFA in creative writing, I think is what they call it. Um, and I uh, wrote the first version of, of Bearskin there. Most most people write short stories in these programs, and for whatever reason, I was compelled to write a, a, longer, a longer piece. And so, yeah, so I've started calling that Bearskin 1.0 because, you know, I finished it and then it wasn't really that good, and then I put it aside for a long time, came back to it, and uh, wrote this book in the past 10 years, which for me, that's recent history. Yeah. It must be hard. You, you've said that you, you know, you you looked back at that, and you decided, like, the setting's pretty good. Characters are boring. Right. I have to throw, <laughs> throw yes. the, I can use the kernel of ideas, I have to throw everything out, you yes. know, all the characters. Yeah, I, a friend of mine, uh, contacted me, who, who was in the program with me at UVA, and this was, oh, 10, 11 years ago, and he said, I think you should go back to Bearskin and, and, and uh, strip it down to the good stuff and, and try again. He said, I think there's something there. And I said, all right, I'll give it a, a month or two, and, and so I, I did. I threw out the characters, because the characters were the problem, and they were fine. I, I thought they were, they were nice people, but they just weren't very interesting. And uh, so I, this, this character of Rice Moore uh, kind of percolated up into my imagination and I put him in the same setting with the same basic premise with the bear poaching and uh, wrote a few chapters and thought that that can stand alone. I, I like it. And I started sending it out and it got picked up by a, a, a literary journal and won an award. And that's when the requests for the novel started coming in. Mm. And uh, so eventually I, I decided to extend it. So tell me about, um, about Rice. Rice is a he's an interesting guy. Um it's the 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 character in Bearskin 1.0 was was a lot like me and and Rice is way more interesting than me. He's he has come from a uh, scientific background undergrad um but things didn't go well for him and uh he ended up um not using his science degree and uh fell into um the cross-border uh, smuggling trade at some point um, for the for the love of a woman uh, as they say and and uh, he uh, it all went sideways in a very very bad way and uh, he ended up ended up in Virginia on the run hiding out from a threat so um, and one of the central plot points I understand comes from an incident that you actually heard about so Rice is he's hidden, quote unquote, right? He, he's, right. It's great. Good. The, the rotary phone, right? In the first place, is disconnected. So yes. you know he's out on the preserve. So cartel is not going to find him, right? Um, and 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 then what happens with the with the bears? And then as the uh, as the the main narrative starts is a uh, a, a man who uh, is kind of a mysterious character and. Uh, you want me to talk about the uh, the, the real life event that, that yeah, yeah, sparked for, first, that? yeah, first, sure, and then we'll sure, go to the book. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I, I, my my cousin uh, told me a story uh, right before I started at the, at the creative writing program in Charlottesville, and uh, 
he said he had picked up a hitchhiker up in the mountains who uh, he made his living picking things out in the woods, uh, mushrooms and, and ginseng, that sort of thing. So he spends all his time out there. And he told my cousin he'd been finding a lot of bear carcasses out in the mountains that year, just left there, mutilated, with their uh, their paws had been cut off and their gallbladders had been removed. And that uh, naturally interested me. Uh, it was happening in the mountains near where, where I grew up. And I started to do some research and find out you know, what the heck that was going on. And uh, it turns out at that time, this was in the uh, mid to late 90s, there was demand uh, for bare gallbladders and paws for sale on the black market. It was illegal. And uh, poachers were being paid what to them was good money and, and uh, you know, a hundred, few hundred bucks and up, up to um, maybe a thousand uh, for these bear parts, and then the, they were being exported to uh, East and Southeast Asia, and also in, in the United States for for use in uh, traditional medicine and cuisine. Okay, I was going to ask you who's consuming this, and right, right, why so traditional, right, medicine right. and and cuisine and cuisine. Yeah, okay. it's, a, it's the yeah. the bear paws are, are apparently a very prestigious dish. Yeah, and uh, it's there's a big demand. There's still a demand for it, though it's not so much a uh, problem in the United States anymore. And it's interesting now, bears, quite be- American black bears are quite common uh, these days. Mm, yeah. And these are black bears, right? Or, Primarily. Uh, yeah. you, could, you could sell the grizzly bear parts, but there were so few of them, and there wasn't any premium, especially for those bears, as yeah. I understand it. Yeah. I'd like to have you read a passage. This is uh, sure. early in the book. Uh, I think it's chapter three. Um, so first, to uh, set this up, uh, um, Rice is out there. He thinks alone. Right, and and then he encounters this uh, mysterious guy. Tell us about this. Yeah, this, this fellow, this this guy. I, I kind of took him somewhat out of out of the real life story. Uh, he's a very mysterious character, um, and sometimes we wonder whether uh, whether Rice is actually imagining him or not. But he is a mushroom picker who walks out of the woods, and uh, is the first human being Rice has seen on this uh, remote nature preserve, and so he's a little surprised. Uh, but the but the guy, after some initial communication difficulties, they uh, he convinces Rice to walk up on the mountain with him, and he shows him this bear carcass. Mm. And the, it's obvious that this bear carcass, what has happened to this bear, angers this man, right? Yes, yes. This 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 man is uh, shows him the carcass and has this fairly strange reaction where he's uh, is uh, obviously angry and uh, maybe having a little bit of a of a moment there he's engages in this kind of strange dance mm. and then just disappears yeah so i'll have you read this in this passage yeah and this has happened after he's uh has disappeared and this is when rice is headed back down the mountain a shrill clattering call burst from the forest nearby he stopped to watch thinking pileated woodpecker but the bird didn't appear he knew most of the bird species now his first log entries from back in March and April said things like big black woodpecker with, woodpecker with red crest. While he watched, a fresh breeze brushed against the big tulip trees, red oaks, sugar maples. Heavy branches rose and fell in slow motion, and a million leaves twisted on their stems, showing silver underneath. The forest was eerily animate, a gigantic green beast dreaming, its skin twitching and rippling. Not quite threatening, but powerful, watchful. For a moment, he imagined the forest was angry, disappointed, that this intrusion by the bear poachers was his responsibility. He felt some of the mushroom pickers outrage at what he seemed to regard as a murder. But he pushed those thoughts away. Recently, he'd noticed in himself a slant towards excessive anthropomorphism. It was something he worked to keep in check. Still, even if he focused only on the facts, he surely had new troubles. The rupture of his inviolate refuge, a sudden sudden sense of encroachment and vulnerability, potential law enforcement implications. And there was the affront to his professionalism as caretaker. At least one bear, and probably others, had been poached on his watch. It demanded a response. Ever since he'd moved to Virginia, Rice had engaged in a nearly religious practice of keeping himself to himself, employing a human analog to the behavioral strategies of certain prey species, drab coloring, quiet habits, never leaving cover, avoiding conflict. A change in strategy would be risky in a number of ways, not the least of which was the danger of unleashing his own tendency to push things further than he ought to. He couldn't call the law, 
That would expose him far too blatantly. But he also knew he couldn't sit back and wait for more intrusions. Turpin County harbored an active and outspoken tribe of bear hunters, and the few he'd encountered had been openly hostile toward him. Unfortunately, he couldn't think of any place else to start. At the lodge, he chained out of, changed out of his sweaty clothes and, hiding his pistol as usual in a slit he'd cut in the passenger seat of his truck, started the engine and began the long drive down the mountain. That's James McLaughlin reading from his uh, debut novel, Bearskin. Um, so, by the way, the pistol, his employers don't want him to have firearms. Right, right, right. yeah. Pistols, uh, sometimes a bad idea for a, for a caretaker. Uh, yeah. They're afraid yeah. to shoot somebody. Right, yeah, right, right. Things could escalate. Right? Yes. But uh, he... He knows his past. They don't, I guess. And, uh, right, right. He knows that he probably ought to have something. He, he uh, keeps it, and he, uh, he's fairly scrupulous about mm-hmm. um, uh, not carrying it with him when he goes up on the, on the mountain. Yeah. Uh, but, he, but he has it for other potential threats. I'm interested in this. He's trying to guard against anthropomorphism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what's he doing there? He's, he's trained, uh, I mentioned before, he's trained as a scientist. And so he tries to apply scientific rigor to his uh, in, in increasingly uh, of weird experience in the mountains here. So he's trying to keep stay rational, start trying to stay objective, trying to stay scientific. And uh, all that starts to dissolve a little bit. Um, he's been up there alone for a long time. And uh, he's uh, maybe uh, one way to look at it is he's being uh, either figuratively or literally possessed by some sort of uh, mountain spirit. It's a it's a, a haunted mountain. I love to play with with that uh, supernatural sort of stuff in the background, where it's it's not overt, uh, but it's but it's there as a possibility in the background. It could be psychological or or something else. Yeah, you, you keep it ambiguous, but yeah. he feels like the forest is watching him. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. and he talks about uh, fugues and fits of reverie. Yeah, yeah. He's um, ever since a, a, a traumatic event that actually is described in the in the prologue to the book. He has um, fallen prey to these these fugues where uh, he loses himself a bit in uh, being alone up here on the on the mountain. These fugues fugues become more more frequent and mm. uh, longer and more intense mm-hmm. until he kind of loses himself. Right. So, what happens with the bears? He he takes it personally, right? That I'm I'm doesn't own this mountain, but he but he's a he's a caretaker of it. Sure. Can't have poachers up here. Um, maybe the smarter thing, given his past, would be to let it go, but he he doesn't. That's exactly right. And that's kind of his first uh, decision or compulsion, where he, he finds that, uh, yes, it's his uh, – he's a caretaker. It's, it's his job description to protect this place, and he's failed to do it. He also, though, in the past six months has – uh, absolutely come to feel a, and here's where the anthropomorphism and uh, lack of scientific rigor kicks in. He's, he feel a real affection for this place. And uh, the, the fancy word that I used in an in, in old interview about it, he cathects it. Uh, he, it becomes kind of part of himself. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which a lot of us can relate to. Sure. Right? Yeah, sure. We don't have the the past that Rice does. Or the, now he goes, I don't think I'm revealing too much, you know, try not to because it's, it is a thriller and right. some nice payoffs. Uh, he, he goes undercover, right? He wants to, yeah. he wants to sniff out this, this uh, bear poaching ring. Yeah. His, 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 his first uh, attempts are, are fairly hapless. Uh, he's, he's not really an investigator, but he's, he's, he's giving it a shot. So he, he goes to a local bar and tries to talk to people about bear hunting. Um, and, and then in a, in a somewhat more serious uh, effort, he uh, finds some, he finds out that pig galls can be, can pass for bear galls when they're dried. And so he gets some pig galls and uh, calls uh, the number <clears throat> that he's acquired of a, of a, someone who's supposedly a local black marketeer. And he, uh, uh, tries to sell the guy pig galls, and that goes sideways. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that's that's quite the scene, and I, I don't know. It, it it seemed pretty realistic to me, that, which takes me to research. This must have been uh, fun slash dicey in some cases. You you got to uh, you say you uh, got to go to a seedy hotel in the middle of the night to interview an undercover undercover <laughs> yeah. game warden who, yeah. who himself was trying to. Yes, yes, this to, guy was awesome. He was he was uh, uh, a very um, 
I, I, I was able to I was able to interview him only because I promised that I wasn't really a journalist that this was all for a background for for a, a fiction a work of fiction. Uh, but this guy was pretty amazing and uh, told me some hair raising stories. He swore me to secrecy on a lot of them. Mm. And uh, but yeah, that was that was uh, that was fun research and. Uh, I did. I did a lot. I had to do a lot of catch-up research when I when I rewrote the book, um, and especially with some of the some of the backstory uh, in Arizona, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah, a lot of research. Tell me about that. You you went to border country. Yes, yes. I have a uh, a cousin. One of my one of my closest friends is uh, lives in Tucson, and so ever since, gosh, the early '80s, mid '80s, I've been going down there to visit. And he's he's a kind of a part-time desert rat and. We'd go walking around in the desert and exploring, and uh, so I really came to love that country. And it just, when this backstory started coming to me, um, it just seemed perfectly natural that it would come out of the border country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and include, you know, it's from from the the reading. It uh, seems like you've, I don't know how you. I guess I don't know if you Google this stuff as uh, sort of the business structure of cartels and how how that changes and how the, the business, you know, because it's a it's a violent business, but it's a business. Sure, sure, it is, and and there are some really interesting, uh, well-researched books out there that. I've, oh, you go to the big, books. I guess I have, that's a, big, how you do, I have yeah. a big stack of them. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. join the cartel. That's that'd be too too far deep. No, under no. At, okay. at my reading the other night, I tried to pretend that I'd ridden along with a with a sicario in in Mexico, but nobody believed me. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Which, which is prudent, right? You wouldn't do that. No, I would not. Um. So. Um, Research about gunfighting. Yeah, yeah. For example, I, uh, I I I bought some very interesting books on uh, on gunfighting and and on snipers. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. What what stood out to you from that? I mean, you're probably researching specific things that uh, that are going to happen in the book. But is there anything that really stood out to you? That yeah, it's 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 there. And also that that is something where you can go on the internet and uh, there is a a vast um, sea of information. Uh, and uh, some of it seems pretty good. You know, you never know what you're finding on the internet. But uh, the the sort of uh, serious gun combat people, a lot of them ex-military on the internet, have some really interesting things to read about. Uh, mm. It's uh, it's an interesting world out there. Yeah. So I imagine research on bears too. Sure. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I. It's it's a little interesting that um, when I grew up. In the in the mountains of Virginia, bears were almost uh, uh, this mythical beast. We we rarely, rarely saw them, and uh, of course now they're fairly common. When I go back east, we we see them, and it's it's always it's always fun to see them. Uh, but yes, I had to do some uh, research into into bears. Uh, we I know through a, a common acquaintance of, of a real bear expert who lives back there. So every now and then, I'd, I'd send questions uh, his way and. Uh, yeah, learning about the bears was was really fascinating. I've always liked bears, and so that was that was I probably did more than I needed to. Mm-hmm. You've always liked bears. What? And sure. Tell me about that first, and then I want to just talk in general. Yeah, sure. Okay. I, I I was one of those kids who grew up. I was a bird watcher, and 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 spent a lot of time out in the woods hunting, fishing, and uh, I just did. And like I said, the bears were scarce, and when you saw one, it was a really exciting thing. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I've always, I've always felt a kind of a kinship with him. So, uh, if I put myself in that situation, exciting, yes; scary, yes. But that part for you, that I think part of our fascination with bears is, you know, some, some fear. Sure, sure. <clears throat> excuse, me, excuse me. They're they're big animals, and uh, uh, you don't feel so much fear back east. There was a story <laughs> a couple of years ago of uh, a very large. American black bear caught, had rabies and started attacking uh, some people, and they managed to kill it. But not so much fear out here. Uh, my wife and I hike a lot in the in the Greater Yellowstone ecosystem. We go up there a lot, and so of course there mm. um, you have your grizzly bears, and you're carrying bear spray. Mm. Do you, you have you ever had an encounter uh, uh, occasion to use bear spray? I've always wondered: yeah. does bear, bear spray yeah. work? Yeah, it, I, I can tell you um, that it it works on me. Uh, it works on you. Okay. Yeah, my, right. my wife and I were, were uh, hiking and we saw a bear. <clears throat> and of course, I'm trying to get a good look at it and talking to her. She has the bear spray and I'm talking, just hold still. We'll give it its space, back up a little. And uh, 
And after it moved along, I turned around. Of course, she was 100 yards back the trail. She'd taken off with the bear spray. And uh, when, it, when we got back together, we, we decided we needed to test the bear spray. So we just, we just shot it down the trail. And it was a very impressive plume of, of pepper spray. And we thought, okay, that's cool. And then we walked along. And we thought the plume had dispersed, but it had not. And uh, we, we emerged from the, that part of the trail hacking and coughing and sneezing okay. in our eyes right. and watering. So, yeah, it works. You, you're able to test that you would not continue yes. to, to, to I would not chase prey. I would be you, in any shape. Okay. To, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of wondered about that. Um, um, I want to, uh, again, talking a little bit, we're talking with James McLaughlin. He is uh, lives now in Utah. I grew up in Virginia. This uh, novel, his debut novel called Bearskin, is set in uh, Virginia. And uh, the, the main protagonist of the novel, Rice Moore, uh, has a history with cartels. He's escaped that life. And so he's taken a job uh, protecting a remote forest preserve in Virginia. Um, and so it's remote. And he, in the passage you read, he takes on the kind of the, the, as, a, as a prey. Uh, wood takes on the coloration of the forest, blends in. But then this thing with the bears happens. And he, he wants to break this uh, ring of uh, bear poachers. And that opens him up to possibly... His past coming back exactly to, to haunt him. Uh, so we're we're talking with James McLaughlin on the program uh, today. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, this. Well, let me just read from a review. Um, let's see, or or at least some publicity material. Picture Thoreau having left for Walden with a bunch of bad dudes hot on his uh, heels. So that's kind of a nice, colorful. <laughs> but you were you were going for more than a thriller that happened to be set in the wild, right? Yes, it it uh, it's it it started out. Um, I didn't start out to write a thriller. I'm not even sure exactly what a thriller is. I'm sure there are good definitions of it out there. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it 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 was. I'm a a big fan of of certain writers, people like Jim Harrison and Thomas McGuane. And at that time, I thought maybe I could write something like like they do. And uh, that that didn't work out so well. And and. Uh, so I, I started to amp up the um, what I guess people would call the thriller aspects of it, and uh, that was fun. I really enjoyed that, and I think it turned into a better book, uh, at least for me. Mm. Um, so you have you've said elsewhere. Let's say I want to quote this um, about the novel. Sometimes it can be propulsive. Um, of the time you spend writing, but most of the time it's just an excruciatingly slow process to write something that moves quickly. Yeah, there's a paradox. <laughs> it is a paradox. Talk to me about that. Yeah, it's um, you. You end up putting too much, or I end up putting too much in, and then you need to strip it back mm-hmm. so that the reading uh, flows without a whole lot of. Uh, you don't want anything, obviously, like cliches that will trip up. Uh, a reader who starts to roll his or her eyes, uh, but you also need it to to read clean. And for me, that's hard. Mm. Uh, that takes a lot of work. To, to taking things out. Yeah, a lot of it's okay. taking things out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you put it in there. It's excruciating getting it down in the first place, but then, but then it takes a lot of time to get it out. Yeah. So you say that the rice um, he begins to truly love this preserve this this how many acres is it the the uh, fictional preserve is is large it's i have it at seven thousand acres right old growth forest yeah with a with some primary forest in a in a in a gorge yeah Yeah. he comes to love this uh you're and and part of what you're doing here and you know the the central plot is moving us along at a brisk pace and very exciting but uh you're also wanting us to i guess look at the look at this nature look at this land right sure sure that's it's it's funny that's kind of the way i write um and uh, again there's there's a good bit of uh taking things out because uh, i i will in my first drafts i will tend to overdo that because that's the way i will experience a place and uh you you strip that down to what works and what doesn't slow the narrative down but yes that's that's very important to me mm. Let's take another break. When we come back, I'll have you uh, talk to me about uh, another uh, person in the book, uh, Sarah. Sure. Yes, Sarah. Uh, Who's the former warden or the caretaker Mm -hmm. who has left under some pretty extreme circumstances but comes back. Um, And uh, I'll have you read another passage uh, from from the book that will get us a little bit into Rice's uh, character. We're talking with James McLaughlin. Uh, He is author of a 
debut novel. It's getting rave reviews. Bearskin is the name of the novel. And uh, James McLaughlin is with us for the hour. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the USU Lyric Repertory Company's 2018 Dinner and Discussion, Saturday, July 7th at the Riverwoods Conference Center. Presentations, discussions, and interactions with the actors, directors, and or designers. Ticket details at lyricrep.org. A lot of scientists are saying our planet has moved into a new geological epoch, the Anthropocene. There has never been a species that has been able to affect the planet so broadly and so deeply as humans have. The age of the Anthropocene and what it means for all the creatures on Earth, that's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Join us this morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We've reached our last segment with James McLaughlin. He joins us in studio. His debut novel, getting very positive reviews, is called Bearskin. And uh, the the plot in, in brief, Rice Moore is the uh, the central uh, figure in the book. Uh, he has escaped a drug cartel on the southern border um, and uh, is in a pretty good situation if you want to hide yourself away from the cartel. He's on this 7,000-acre nature preserve in Virginia, but then circumstances start opening him up to uh, the return of his past is, is what's happening. Um so uh, let me have you read this uh, passage uh, first, sure. James McLaughlin. This is from uh, Chapter 29. I guess to set this up, he's, he's out. He's, he's just killed a squirrel. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's, uh, he's been out in the woods a lot. Um, he's become a little bit obsessive. Uh, that's an understatement. He's obsessed with catching the, the poachers. And uh, so he's, he's been out in the woods in very, he hasn't returned back to the lodge at all. He's feeding himself out there. And uh, so, so, yes, he's um, become hungry enough to kill a squirrel. Thinking it might help, he apologized to the squirrel the way he'd read Native Americans would when they killed an animal for food. It didn't help, though he understood the key was to love and respect the squirrel species and accept the gift of meat and sustenance that came in the form of individual squirrels, which was hard in that it still entailed a predatory suspension of empathy, an objectification of individual others, centers of perception, their own universes surely very different from his own but nonetheless significant and demanding consideration. He'd spent enough hours watching wild animals to be incapable of forgetting that. He wondered, had he hardened his heart? To harden one's heart would help to avoid pain, but he was sure it also impaired one's consciousness. At some other time, he might have sat longer, puzzling this out, but he was hungry. He built a tiny fire of dry hickory twigs in a crevice in a boulder, skinned and gutted the squirrel, and cooked it on a green stick skewer over the coals. His kills grew cleaner as his hunting prowess developed, but a quick death was death nonetheless. An alert, self-willed creature going about its business, transformed with a stab of Rice's spear into an inert corpse he could eat. He found it strange and more than a little heartbreaking. Certainly it rubbed his nose in his own mortality, all of this adding up to the price of meat, of causing the deaths that sustained him. Despite his misgivings, he soon broadened his prey base beyond fox squirrels to include gray squirrels, cottontail rabbits, and grouse. They were all small animals, and he was only able to spear one every couple of days, not enough to quell the hunger. He started thinking about turkey and deer. He might need a better weapon. This thing that was happening would help him catch the poachers, he was sure, but there was more to it than that. He knew he was no longer altogether in control. Memories he'd long shut off now seeped through. Buffers were being stripped away. Scientific detachment, language, story self-consciousness itself. He tried not to worry. So he's a, uh, this is, he thinks in service of catching the poachers, and I suppose uh, kind of putting himself into their minds and their skills. He, becoming more of a predator, yeah. yes. Yeah, but it's having an effect on him. Yes, yes, it is. He's, uh, uh, like I said, he's, he's, He's become obsessed. He's been out there in the woods uh, by himself. He's not even going back to the uh, the lodge where he's supposed to be working. Uh, he hasn't eaten anything but uh, uh, these these small animals, and uh, he's going. It, he, he's opening himself up 
to this perception of the larger world in a way that becomes um, possibly uh, a little a little crazy, a little pathological. Mm-hmm. It goes mm-hmm. it goes too far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all the while, there's this kind of this mysticism, right? Yes. Um, that he feels the force is watching him. Yes. I don't know what he thinks the forest is thinking about him, but but he's he's you know it's pathological, but it's uh, there's some positives and there's some negatives there. I guess, yes, right? yes. He's he's getting uh, he's getting he's he's living close to the bone here, and uh, he's interpreting uh, his experience as best he can, and and some of it demands a little mysticism. You have said that uh, speaking about uh, Rice Moore. Uh, he's almost pathologically driven to pay attention. Yeah. And you said that in connection with uh, the question was, uh, what do you want readers to take from the novel? Mm-hmm. I guess remove the pathological, right? Mm-hmm. But pay attention? Yes, exactly. I've I've had several people tell me after reading the book that one of the uh, one of the things they took away from it was a a, a desire to pay more attention when, when they're out. Um out in what we call nature, and uh, I, I like that. That's that's because uh, again, uh, Rice is really paying attention. He's op- he's cracked open for various reasons, and uh, maybe seeing it in that kind of ex- extreme example, and the, uh, the the expansion of consciousness that can occur. Uh, maybe if if a few readers go out and pay more attention when they're outside, mm-hmm. I, that would yeah. make me happy. How would that manifest itself? Or uh, do you feel like you're a good attention payer when you're out there? What, I, uh, I, I, I really, I used to be. Um, uh, mainly now I sit in the basement and write, um, mm. but I, I, I aspire to be, yes. Yeah. Um, I, would that be educating yourself? Just uh, or Yeah, a lot of it is educating yourself about the, the, the details of the place where you live, the, the ecosystems that surround you course a lot of people live in cities of course uh but to get out and go to a place where uh it's a little wilder and learn something about it and be quiet and pay attention and uh get you know turn off your electronic device uh, especially when you're out there i guess that's yeah yeah by the way if you're out there with young men uh, that's the first thing you have to do it is a Right, when you're out there with the scouts, right? Turn those devices off, yes. and and let's uh, let's be in nature, right? Sure, sure. Um, tell me a bit about uh, Sarah. Sarah, uh, she was the uh, was the caretaker of this of this preserve before Rice, and she is a uh, a real scientist, as he calls her. She's a postdoc in herpetology at a uh, university nearby, and she took the job in part because it, it puts her close to her research subject. She studies a, a species of, uh, of, of lizard. And uh, she loved the place and then and, and had some uh, uh, tragic violence visited upon her and had to leave. And that's when Rice came into the job. But Sarah has remained, as you noted in your object, in your uh, uh, introduction, uh, she's remained close to the place and uh, is still in touch with the owners. And uh, and she actually plans to come back and move into the place. Rice is is working on remodeling a, a a cabin on the on the property, and she will live there and just do her research while Rice is the caretaker. Hmm. You are, uh, in addition to being a writer, you're a lawyer, you're a photographer. I am a. Um, I think I've said in other places a solidly amateur photographer. Okay. Yes, I've been taking pictures for as long as I've been writing. You can go to jamesamclaughlin.com and see some. They're beautiful photographs. Thank you. Um, so uh, do you think that informs your writing? If so, how? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question. Um, it goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago about paying attention. I, I've, I've found that, uh, you know, like I said, I grew up hunting and fishing, and uh, I don't do as much of that anymore. But... Uh, when you're out in the wild with your camera and you are, uh, you would need a telephoto lens or a macro lens, you are hunting everything. And, and there's this kind of broad attention that comes over you um, where you're a little bit hunting, uh, but, you're, but it's not quite the same. Uh, but it's this, but it's a more wide ranging attention. You have lots of quarry that you're looking for from insects to grizzly bears. Mm. That's uh, that's interesting. Like hunting, obviously not. You know, 
obviously not, not exactly the same. What do you think are the similarities? Similarities are you you need to know about the species you want to photograph, just like you need to know about the species you want to hunt. You know, you need to know their habits, what they, where they go, where they eat, where they sleep, uh, what they're going to do at certain times of day when they're not going to be doing much of anything. Uh, and, uh, that's, and, and, and also being out there, there's a certain, I, mean, I keep coming back to this, a certain kind of attention that you develop when you're stalking through the woods and you are in a, predatory or quasi predatory stance. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it would, it would be an interesting feel, right? Yeah. A uh, different feel than if you're photographing a semi trailer, trailer, sure. I guess. Yes. Well, I don't know. Yeah. The semi, I guess it's, <laughs> <laughs> but different from just hiking through the woods. Well, absolutely. Right. Right. Oh, before we were, we were down to the last couple of minutes here, I, I do want to talk about the language. I referenced that at the beginning of the program, uh, dialect, you know, the, from the, the deep in the woods and and some some vocabulary hmm. that I found uh, very interesting. Um, uh, if someone is lying, you, yeah, for example, what does that mean? Law is a verb. Uh, would that be transitive or intransitive? Where you you are calling the uh, the authorities on someone, and that's a it's a not a not generally considered to be a proper thing to do. R- routing you culture. out, I guess. Yes, He's it's almost, almost like you're ratting someone out. Uh, what about a Mozambique? A Mozambique, that's, that's, that is not particular to this local uh, Appalachian culture. Yeah. That's, that's from, uh, uh, that's from the, the gun culture. Um, I, I'm not sure where it came from. Probably some, uh, uh, some, something happened in Africa, but it's a, it's a way of, of killing someone where you're very sure that you kill them. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, of course, you have uh, someone doing Mexican carry. Yes, yes. Which is you stick the yes. gun in your waistband. In, in the waistband, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, tell me just a little bit more about the about the Appalachian, I guess, uh, dialect. Yeah, it's like I said, I, I grew up hearing that. There were uh, people who lived near our farm who we loved dearly, and, and they worked with us, and, and they talked in a way that was very different from the way we spoke at home, and... There wasn't. It wasn't a matter of making f- fun of it at all. It's. It's kind of beautiful. It's uh, almost Elizabethan, and uh, so I, I. I grew up with that, and it. It kind of. I. I you, you develop an ear for it when mm-hmm. you hear it a lot when you're a kid, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and so I, yeah, I tried to make that as authentic as authentic as I could in the book. A lot of times you, you get a little carried away with uh, phonetic spellings of of dialect, and, right. and you got to dial it back a bit. Yeah, we're losing some of that, right? Because uh, yeah. everybody's yeah. watching the same shows, exactly. and gaining the same maybe gaining is the wrong word, but we're all um, converging on yeah. a similar accent, and yeah, yeah, everything. that's right. These were old timers. We've reached the end of our time. Uh, James McLaughlin uh, is now based in Utah. His debut novel is out. It's called Bearskin. And you can find out more about James McLaughlin at jamesamclaughlin.com. Thank you for coming in. Thank you so much. Tom, thank you. This has been delightful. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the 2018 Cache Valley Cruise-In, July 5th, 6th, and 7th in Logan, Utah, at the Cache County Fairgrounds featuring the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band on Friday, July 6th. Registration and admission ticket information available at Lee's or cvcacruisein.com. A service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio. Heard statewide on KUSR, Logan, KUSK, Vernal, KUSL, Richfield, KUST, Moab, KCEU, Price, and KUSUFM, Logan.